0: Yes, my name is Bond. James Bond. Welcome to Now Playing's James Bond Retrospective Series. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. I certainly hope so, too. Celebrating the 50th anniversary of Bond and Films, Arnie, Stewart, and Brock will be watching and reviewing every James Bond film, ending with this year's newest Bond film, Skyfall. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Be warned. Now playing has a license to spoil and use mild adult language. The Americans are going to be none too pleased about this. Listener discretion is advised. What, no small
1: talk? No chit-chat?
0: Today we're talking about License to Kill, starring Timothy Dalton, Carrie Lowell, Robert Dobby, Talisa Soto, David Hedison, Benicio Del Toro, Desmond Llewellyn, and directed by John Glenn. This is Brock, James Brock, co-host of Now Playing.
1: Stewart in LA. This is Arnie, and I've got a License to Podcast.
0: So we're back today talking about the second and last timothy dalton james bond movie originally called license revoked right up until test screenings but they realized that license revoked means taking away your driver's license here in america and they changed it to license to kill i wonder if we had gladys knight singing license revoked instead of license to kill then if the movie title made it through to production
1: and i wonder if the song would have sucked as hard (laughs) (laughs)
2: I remember hearing that story that, yeah, people didn't know what the word revoke meant, or they just didn't get the association with License to Kill. It would have been a better title for this film, because this film is about Bond going rogue. I had forgotten that. I saw this, like I saw all of the later Bond films on VHS. I did not remember that this was him really striking his own path. And I think that that makes... ...for a really dark and surprisingly unbond adventure. If the last one felt stark, this one was practically nihilistic. And
1: this is one that I actually remembered most. I mean, this one I was very aware of when it came out. I was seeing movies weekly by this point. I didn't see this one in theaters, but this movie is the movie that got me interested in Bond. This movie coming out on VHS is what got me to do my entire Bond binge in the early 90s. And I remembered so much about this that in previous installments, when we saw Sean Connery resign and then unresign, and when we saw Lazenby went on leave to go after Blofeld, I just kept thinking, wow, License to Kill is nowhere near as original as I had originally thought.
0: And it's not a plot we're never going to see again either. (laughs) (laughs) But, Stuart, you mentioned how dark and nihilistic this is. Well, they thought the strength of Timothy Dalton was the darker portrayal of Bond or the more intense one. And so they decided to take it to the hilt, play to Timothy Dalton's strengths, as they say, and decided to take this Bond story in a different direction. They pretty much strip away Bond of a lot of things that make Bond Bond. Yeah. They originally had thought to reboot the series with Living Daylights, as they did with... Casino Royale in 2006, and they kind of did it here a little bit by, instead of rebooting it, kind of getting him down to bare, bare essentials.
2: Right, and it appears to not have worked, at least initially, box office-wise. Yes, as you already mentioned, this is the one that killed Timothy Dalton's franchise before it even had time to find its legs. If this was the way they were taking it, I guess the public responded in kind. Now, to be fair, he did have a lot of competition this summer. A summer we bring up time and again, Indiana Jones, Batman, Ghostbusters, Star Trek, Karate Kid, Harry and Sally, the Dead Poets Society. Those helped to obscure this new version of Bond, but I'm not sure in any summer in the 1980s, people would have been ready for this. Also, this is the only one that's not coming from Fleming. I mean, as far as I can tell, this is the first time they're working with material or not even a title that came from the Bond creator.
0: It is isn't the first time a non-Fleming title was used, but as Arnie will tell us in his plot summary forthwith, there are elements from James Bond novels in this movie. All right,
1: Arnie, I think that's your cue. It's CIA agent Felix Leiter's wedding day, but that doesn't stop him from arresting drug kingpin Franz Sanchez. But with the help of DEA agent Ed Kilfer, Sanchez escapes and kills Felix's bride before feeding Felix to a shark. Felix is improbably found alive, having some limbs lost, by his best man James Bond, who goes rogue, resigning his position with MI6 to track down the man behind Felix's attack. Despite resigning, M, Q, and Moneypenny help Bond supplying him with gadgets and intel, and Bond goes undercover to find Sanchez. He partners with ex-CIA pilot Pam Bouvier, who he meets at a bar, and the two travel to Isthmus City. There, Bond befriends Sanchez, and his status as a rogue agent has Sanchez take Bond into his confidence as a possible partner in his cocaine smuggling scheme, which involves dissolving cocaine and gasoline for that really good high. (laughs) Why (laughs) huff anymore when you can do blow at the same time? It also helps ship it overseas. And this also, as unlikely as it seems, involves a televangelist who handles sales of the the guise of tithing. But Bond reveals himself when he lights Sanchez's lab on fire. Sanchez's henchman Dario is tasked with killing Bond, but Bond is saved by Pam. And then Bond leads a high-speed oil rig chase, ending with the death of Sanchez. Then, with Felix recovered, Sanchez's girlfriend Lupe tries to romance Bond, now seemingly re-employed by MI6, but Bond only has eyes for Pam, who he chases after, as credits roll. So the movie opens, as I said in the summary, with a wedding, and I realized this came out about a year before, but I just felt Felix Leiter was dead because, well, I've seen Navy Seals.
2: <laughs> what? I haven't, so y- you have to explain this to me.
1: In Navy Seals... The Charlie Sheen film. Oh. (laughs) One of the seals is on his wedding day when he gets called off to do a mission and then he dies. And that's a big sad moment. Spoiler alert. And so here I'm seeing this and I'm like, oh, they might as well have just named him Dead Meat Lighter. But then he lived, which really surprised me.
2: This, of course, is from the perspective of someone who is not the James Bond fan. To me, a wedding signifies death because the last time we saw one, it was Tracy Bond, and she got it. That's more what I was hearkening back to. Like the last movie, Dalton really feels like he's in the mold of Lazenby and doing On Her Majesty's Secret Service here. That darker, edgier, grittier
1: Bond is what I'm getting.
0: And of course, Bond lost his wife on the wedding day, as does Felix Leiter. And that parallel is not by mistake.
1: They actually call this out in this movie that Bond was married once. And so if I wasn't thinking Felix was doomed, the moment they start echoing that, I'm like, oh, crap. But of course, I mean, I knew this coming in, I remembered it from the movie, but I'm seeing all the foreshadowing that's pretty heavy handed in the early scenes. The one other
2: parallel this setup gives me, and maybe it hasn't even happened yet, but it's because of what this whole movie is doing, it's making me think that. But didn't Don Johnson get his wife killed in an episode of Miami Vice, and wasn't that wife Sheena Easton? Because I definitely am getting a strong Miami Vice vibe from this entire movie. I'm sure that wasn't by accident either. Bond likes to hop trends. He didn't really do it last time, but they are back to full force jumping on the Miami drug
1: connection here with License to Kill when they have to get Sanchez. Agreed completely. This whole thing, the entire drug plot, the entire bringing in of the Hispanic bad guy, all of it Even Dalton Stubble, I was thinking Miami Vice the entire time. Hell, they even give Bond a black friend. And he's just as memorable as Tubbs.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, Miami Vice, this definitely feels like... The first time that I can recall, not only do we start here in the Florida Keys, but we never go to London. We never go to Europe. They are really committed to this location and putting Bond in a part of the world that he hasn't really spent that much time in. I wish I could say that gritty take the Miami Vice vibe plays out well for this opener. Conceptually, I like it. But. Truly, the whole stunts, the ditching the wedding to go snag the airplane, all of that stuff, it's not grabbing me the same way that Living Daylight's a Gibraltar opener did. I'm just not as invested. Maybe it's because we're more keyed in to Felix this time than we are to Bond, or maybe it's the fact that this is a Felix we've seen before, guys. This is a big first. We've finally had a repeat Felix. Can you believe it? When was he
0: Felix last? Live and let die.
2: Yeah, there was a Felix last time that popped on for, you know, a couple seconds. Nobody cared about him, but they went (laughs) back to the guy from Live and Let Die.
1: He's kind of got a Regis Philburn thing going on, I think.
0: Seriously does.
1: Was that intentional that they brought him back, or was it, like, when they repeated the Bond girl with Octopussy, ah, this guy's around, nobody's going to really care who plays Felix?
0: They knew Felix had a bigger role here and they wanted someone who could play the part. Broccoli's actually ran into him and they said, hey, you know, we're recasting Felix and you played it before. Nothing on purpose. It just happened to work out and he accepted it. There was some worries that he was so much older than Dalton, but they quickly did away with that. Yeah, because they made Dalton look like crap. I agree with you completely. The bags under his eyes, the receding hairline, they did nothing to make this guy look like James Bond in this movie. To me, they kind of really dressed him down to be much more gritty and not looking like James Bond that much. Even in a tuxedo, he looks like he's been up for 12 hours straight without any sleep.
2: He looked better at the end of this movie after he falls off the back of an oil tanker than he does at this wedding. This is some dog (laughs) faced looking Bond right now.
1: It was the bachelor
2: party. (laughs) Maybe so.
0: What I liked about the opening scene, they went the CIA gun route and all that kind of stuff. But until Bond became Bond and did a Bond-like thing, they couldn't get the job done. Bond had to step up and do something that only Bond can do, hang out underneath a helicopter and rope in an airplane. That, okay, Felix, we can do it your way. That didn't work. Watch this. I got that vibe and I really liked it.
1: I'm liking this opening sequence, too. I don't know what you're dogging on here, Stuart. Yeah, Dalton looks a little road hard, but because it's not his first film, I'm just kind of rolling with it. And I think that the action and the stunts here are every bit as good as the last movie. I just find the focus on Felix distracting.
0: I actually like Timothy Dalton in The Wedding Party scenes afterwards as well smiling and having a good time i really get the impression that he's enjoying himself and has no cares in the world and it's really nice to see bond in that kind of situation with good friends and things like that we don't often see bond that way so casual and so comfortable and i thought dalton played those scenes nicely too we talked about last time how he has not really have a good sense of lines he had that line with della I never argue with him with a knife, that kind of throwaway line, but I thought he delivered it perfectly. And it, thank goodness he felt so lived in, in a good way, in this opening scene.
1: When I saw Priscilla Barnes, I got very uncomfortable that Felix Leiter's fiancé was going to be the first Bond girl, because I thought, being Priscilla Barnes, that she'd actually have a role. But no, she's dead, too.
0: I'm happy they didn't have her behind a door misunderstanding something.
1: It'd be really
2: awkward for Bond to sleep with her first, given it's like she's marrying a dude.
0: I found it weird that Bond kissed her, even though everyone keeps talking about kissing the bride in these scenes. I didn't know that was a tradition. Everyone gets to kiss the bride.
1: But what I find weird is that this opening is cut down the middle with the opening credits. Normally, the opening sequence is so far removed from the rest of the film... But here, it's just like Miami Vice in that we're going to start with the scene, pre-credits, and then give you the Miami Vice credits, and then continue exactly where we were before. Yeah, I usually am accustomed to the opener being
2: only lightly, tenuously connected with the story. But here, they can't wait to get to the plot. And if that's the case, they could have just kept going and skipped this opening number.
0: You don't like License to Kill by Gladys Knight, Stewart?
2: (laughs) Not only do I not like it, but I blame both of you that it exists. Me? For all the people that just think that Goldfinger is just too brassy. It's too, it's just too brassy. It hurts me that they got the brass going on. Here is your smooth jazz answer to that call, and this is a Goldfinger redux from hell. I don't know how this got out of the lab. But this is the worst <laughs> eon song of the entire series. Never Say Never Again was the worst song. But of the official ones, nothing will be worse than this. I could almost go with it sometimes because I think actually Gladys actually sings it very well. But when those background singers kick in, that's where I just like, nope, kill it, shoot it dead. I cannot stand this song.
1: I honestly loathe this era of music. And what I kept going back to were like other 1989 movies like Ghostbusters 2, Rousing... Put a little love in your heart, or was that Scrooged? And then Ghostbusters Two had a different song that they were. Oh, not
2: Ghostbusters Two. That was
1: Bobby Brown. No, there was Bobby Brown, but there was a different song when that Statue of Liberty is walking through the city, higher and higher. That was very much like this. And I also went back a very strange song that was repressed in my memory was like an Aretha Franklin George Michael duet.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I knew you were waiting for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, all of this was coming back to me and finally I had to just pause the movie and see who the hell sang this. Gladys Knight, wow, you suck without pips. <laughs> Not
2: only that, but she was not writing this renaissance. It's like you mentioned all these other ones. And yeah, there was a big movement for R&B ballads at the time. Gladys wasn't doing them. Yeah, Aretha came back. Patti LaBelle came back. I don't know where they dug Gladys up. She worked for cheap and she agreed to do this miserable song. I think she sings it pretty well. But why would you go this route? If you're going for the grittiest, darkest, dangerous James Bond yet, Why would you put this saccharine, sappy, wannabe Whitney Houston number on here? It's just a total disconnect. It made more sense when I found out that the original choice was Eric Clapton and his tune got rejected. For whatever reason, the man that sang Cocaine couldn't do the Cocaine Bond movie, but (laughs) it would have been a better choice.
1: It could not have been worse than this. No, absolutely not. And I hear what you're saying because I couldn't believe it that as bad as this song was... They made it worse by bringing back that bah-wah-wah. They had to pay the rights. This
2: wasn't just like it kind of sounds like it. They had to pay the songwriters of Goldfinger for how closely they mimicked it.
0: I agree with you guys. It's not the greatest song. It's been in my head all week long. I cannot get it out of my head. But I don't think it's the worst thing I've ever heard. Maybe I'm just used to watching it, but I don't hate it as much as you two do.
1: You couldn't. That's like saying, you know, I've been in prison 25 years. You really get used to the gruel.
0: (laughs) Maybe it is.
2: Again, this will be my least favorite of the official songs, without a doubt. I haven't heard Adele's number yet in its entirety. I know I like it better.
0: But I agree with you completely that for the mood they're going for for this movie, up top, right afterwards, and the rest of the movie, this song does not fit in. And that's really a weird choice for it. I understand that they like to have these kind of ballads in James Bond movies, but this is the wrong time to go for it. If you're going to go so dark, as Stuart said, you really need to go somewhere different. I did like they went with Michael Kamen, though, for the music for the rest of the movie instead of John Barry, who wasn't available, because I think for this movie, Kamen really brings something to it musically.
1: A lot of Spanish guitar. I honestly didn't pay attention to the score. It just was there. I felt it was fitting, but neither good nor bad.
0: Do you remember last time you said that they used Bond-themed pretty well in Living Daylights? I think here is a good example of almost using the Bond-themed too much because they used it very, very much during Bond's escapades here. But again, the way they used it in the mix of it really worked for the darker image of the movie.
1: Well, truthfully, I feel this movie and the last have had my favorite renditions of the Bond theme. It's just a little bit more rockin', a little bit rearranged. They put the remix on it in a very subtle way. But compared to how it was sounding in the 60s with that kind of sensibility, these are by far my favorite. If I was to have a Bond ringtone, so far it would be a Dalton
0: Bond ringtone. So as we mentioned Bond leaves the wedding party and the two of them get murdered. No,
1: the two of them don't get murdered. She gets murdered, though I don't know how, and he lives, though I really don't know how, and I'd like to discuss both of this. Well, we know this much. Benicio del Toro was involved. Whatever
2: got done to Priscilla Barnes, it was a Benicio honeymoon. I like the way he (laughs) delivers that line. It's kind of fascinating here.
1: It's the line that clued me in who he was, because I did not recognize the face. What I recognized was the voice and the delivery from usual suspects.
0: This is a great line reading. It was wonderful.
2: It was. But Dario and his posse are sort of involved. He is the right hand man of Sanchez. I don't know, and I think it's creepier that we never find out what happened to Della. I mean, that's what makes it so spooky. We never even see a body, right? I mean, nothing.
1: No, we see a body. There's just no gunshot. Where was her body? I think her neck was broken and put her on the
0: bed.
2: Oh, well, damn it. I like my version better. I guess I would look away for that moment. But it was weird that we didn't really get a long, lingering death the way that, yes, we should have with Felix. He's fed to sharks, and I know what you're going to say, Arnie. Why didn't that kill him? I had that same response when I read Live and Let Die. This is a scene directly taken from the Fleming second Bond novel. This happened to Felix. He was in Florida and on assignment, and a bad guy stuck him down in a shark tank and ate half of him, and he
1: lived for several more Bond adventures. See... My thinking this entire time was Felix is dead and Priscilla will be around to grieve and make Bond feel worse, you know, and really fire him up and get him going. And so when Bond finds Felix and he's moaning and moving, I'm like, come on, dude was fed to a frickin shark. I've seen Jaws. I've seen all four Jaws plus Deep Blue Sea. He ain't survivin'. I think that if we really wanted to sell
2: the toughness of this movie, they don't pull a lot of punches elsewhere. Why not just do it? We've never had a connection with movie Felix Leiter. He's always been played by a different actor. He never really did anything that was endearing, barely anything that was essential. I say let him go. He means something to Bond, so for Bond to lose him would really sell us more on where they want to take Bond, which is away from him and away from his duties.
1: Plus, it's not like they're really going to bring him back with a peg leg. They did
0: in the books. (laughs) In the book, he has a claw.
1: Yeah, but I agree. When we see
2: Felix again, at least the Felix that I'm thinking about, he will not be maimed.
0: And you mentioned this is right out of Live and Let Die. In the opening scene, we see Sanchez whip Lupe with a stingray tail, and we soon are to meet Milton Crest. Both those elements are in the short story The Hildebrand Rarity. The character of Milton Crest, though, is the one who whips his wife with the stingray tail, and has a ship named the Wavecrest there too. But they move that quality to Sanchez to get the audience directly in line of what kind of man you're dealing with.
2: They're cherry-picking, I guess, things that they have not filmed already from Fleming, but they've more or less run out at this point. I think that that's interesting that they're going back to bits they left
0: behind. So Bond tries to chase after what's going on, and M finally brings him in. And they had that scene on the balcony with M when he resigns.
1: Was there a jump cut there? Was there some stuff cut? Is there any deleted scenes from this scene on the DVD? Because Bond says, I resign, which we've seen Bond do before. M responds, this isn't a country club. And then immediately goes, give me your weapon. I felt like there was stuff that was in between this isn't a country club and give me your weapon, like some more trying to talk him out of it.
0: I didn't see a deleted scene in that part. Arnie, there are deleted scenes in this movie, but I think this plays awkwardly. I think the scene needs to be there for the plot they want to tell us, but...
1: This is the most
2: shocking thing I have seen in a Bond movie, including the murder of his wife. When he jumps the fence, goes running off, and they fire guns at him to kill him. I cannot believe what I am watching. I cannot believe that under M's tutelage, they would try to kill Bond for
0: leaving service. Well, M actually says, stop shooting, there's too many people. So he tries to stop these guys.
2: He didn't try very hard. I mean, yeah, he kind of was like, "Oh, God bless him, or whatever he says. But you get
0: my point. This is a shocker. The way they did it just doesn't play. And I think the three of us maybe are seeing three different reasons why. <laughs> but it certainly didn't play well for me.
2: Like I said, I'm very stunned by this scene and it lets me know that we're going to see a Bond adventure. I'm preparing myself. For one that we haven't had before. You guys keep saying we've seen it before, but even on Her Majesty's Secret Service quickly got light and silly with a ski lodge full of sleeper spy hotties. That's not where this movie is going. In parallel, we're seeing Sanchez work with a DA agent, busting him out and going back to sell more dope. I mean, this is a tough movie.
0: No doubt. The scene where Sanchez escapes, the armored car drives off the side of the Seven Mile Bridge in Key West, that big bridge that was used in True Lies. And I like that sequence a lot when he goes in the water and the guys with scuba gear are there. It's certainly something we've never seen before in a Bond movie, absolutely. And the action scene there was greatly filmed. I thought it was really well done.
1: But then he goes after Felix's attacker and he tracks down that aquarium that has the little shark. And he meets up again with DEA official Big Ed. I'm a Twin Peaks fan, so it was nice to see Ed in a role other than as Ed. But he was Ed. He was a different Ed. Yes. But again, seeing him, I'm like, oh, I know him. Therefore, he's evil.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that, Arnie, because I think it's a really good twist if you don't know what's coming. It actually works pretty well because the character interrogates Sanchez A scene or two before.
2: He's the one that took the two million to get Sanchez out. They set him up to be the guy taking him away. But in fact, he's the one that makes the thing
1: drive off and has the scuba people meet them. I did not see that coming. You're saying you did, Arnie? Just because I knew the actor. And anytime I seem to know the actor, it means they're evil.
0: (laughs) There's another DE agent that I recognize from Lethal Weapon 2 in this, the young African-American guy with the hat on who tries to warn Bond to stay away from this before he takes Bond in to see him. And then I realized that he's the other Agent Johnson in Die Hard with Robert Davi. And I've seen this movie like 25 times. I'd never put that together before until this viewing for now playing that both Special Agent Johnsons are in the movie.
1: Yeah, Robert Davi, obviously known him from Die Hard
0: ton of other stuff. He's always in it. Robert Davi, I know him first from the Goonies.
2: Yeah, I didn't remember him from Die Hard. It's been too long since I've seen that. Oh, that's right. He's a Fratelli, isn't he?
1: He and Joey Pants.
2: Yes, that's the one that I remember. (laughs) Actually, I'm embarrassed to say. Die Hard, no clue. Goonies, oh yeah, that's him. (laughs) I like Robert Davi here. He's got the pockmark, so he's halfway home already. He easily transmits that I'm the bad guy here, but I like his swagger. He's kind of doing a lighter version of what Pacino did in Scarface, and I appreciate that.
0: I also like that he's so funny. He actually has the funny lines we talked about last time that Dalton really can't do the one-liners, so they get the one-liners to Davi here, and I think he does them great.
2: Yeah. I. You know, the other thing that really sells me on him early is he doesn't want to betray Ed. He's like, yeah, we could just kill this guy, but I am a man who values loyalty over money, and that's impressive. Suddenly, we don't just have a crazy killer that wants to take over the world, we have someone with a code of ethics who is going to do things because it's the right thing to do. And it makes him a more complicated, compelling bad guy. And it tells me that this story is going to be about Bond trying to earn that loyalty to take him down. It's a story about betrayed
1: loyalty. Yes, but I'm just going to come out and say it. Am I the only one who sees this as kind of an aping of Beverly Hills Cop means 21 Jump Street? Yes, you are.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Most people would say it's the Clint Eastwood movie. A few dollars more, the seed's distrust in there to make him turn against his own people.
1: Well, I also, yeah, did see some shades of the Thomas Jane Punisher in this, but that came many, many years later. (laughs) But, I mean, let's look at this. A drug smuggler kills the friend of the law enforcement agent. So the law enforcement agent, despite his chief telling him not to, goes rogue, goes to where the killer lives and starts using a variety of guises to out the drug-dealing killer and eventually avenge his friend, it's there. I don't doubt
2: that it isn't, but again, you're referencing a movie I have not seen in a long time, Beverly Hills Cop. I don't remember that movie. I just remember Eddie Murphy being a whole lot funnier than Timothy Dalton could ever dream of being. <laughs> Eddie Murphy put a banana in a tailpipe. Timothy Dalton looks like he's been living in a tailpipe for quite some time. I cannot believe how bad Dalton looks in this movie. Like in the middle of the movie, he's like sending the woman out to get a makeover. I'm like, you need to go with her. In fact, you need to be her secretary.
0: My big complaint about Timothy Dalton as James Bond is he does not look polished enough for me to enjoy James Bond in that essence. Like the whole swagger of James Bond is missing from him. But they're doing that on purpose here. I think they could have done a little less with it with his look and haggardness. I agree completely, Stuart. And there are certain things that, If you're going to do a James Bond movie, there has to be certain things you do keep. And the way he looks and the way he carries himself are two of those things. And here they drop the look too much.
2: I agree. It's only been two, three years since
1: the last one. But oh, what a world of difference here. I'm not the Bond fan, but I don't mind this updating for the time and the place. It feels appropriate for this movie that he's not so well manicured.
2: Yes, I agree. I mean, if you're going for this vibe, you wouldn't kind of play that way, but you're still making a Bond movie. As dark as you want to go, there's a line that you cross. And when you do, it feels wrong. And I think that's what's happened. I mean, I like Stark along with any of them. I think some of the best Bonds have been the ones to play it the most serious. But for me, this has gone too far. This has gone to the part where I feel like the fun is now draining from the movie. I mean, the first big battle, he goes to a warehouse. I got to deal with a drawer full of maggots.
1: This is kind (laughs) of gross. I was going to ask you, as our resident bullshit researcher, if electric (laughs) eels are that electric.
2: (laughs) I don't think so. I didn't research it, though. I'm sorry.
1: We still have Bond, we still have him sleuthing, we still have him with gadgets. This is still very much a Bond film to me. I'm seeing all the tropes, but much like the last one, the action is up, I'm enjoying Dalton in the role, I'm with him, I'm enjoying him going rogue, and really just along for the ride.
2: But where is the
1: ride going
2: from this point on? I'm hooked. I want to know what they're going to do. They've made big moves. There's no doubt they're going for something they haven't done before, and I'm curious. But I feel right after this point, the movie kind of feels aimless. It's not a mission anymore. He's not following a mission. All he's trying to do is to get back to Sanchez. Does he really have to go all over the place to do it? The script lets us down in telling this story.
0: There is no mission here. He's a personal vendetta, and that's a big difference, even though sometimes the missions are just pretty much MacGuffins to get Bond from country to country, as we've talked about. Here, it doesn't have any sort of mission at all, so it kind of feels weird that it's Bond's on this adventure at all, A. B, there's a writer's strike, so the producer had to finish writing the script. And people on the set were giving ideas, and they were taking them. Ugh. The unfocused thing you're talking about is a direct result of that.
2: Ah, that makes so much sense. I forgot about the 80s writer's strike. But you're right. This would have been hitting it right at that moment. And yeah, I sensed that something was wrong here. It's the same screenwriters we've had for so many. It's still Maybaum and Wilson, but this feels like they're off the game.
0: Well, Wilson is the producer I was talking about, and so he finished the script by himself. Mm-hmm. Because main Bond was not allowed to finish after like the first draft or something.
2: Oh, he was a writer. I get it. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, thank you. This is really starting to come into focus where when I was watching it, I just felt confused because there is so much that I'm liking about this. I do like Dalton's characterization. I do like that they're going for grit. I do like it when we get to some of the women here. I like both Bond girls. First one we meet is hanging out on a yacht. She's Sanchez's woman. It's Lupe. I think she's beautiful, fantastic. I think she is a great Bond girl, but she has no chemistry. And that's sort of how I'm feeling about the whole movie. All these cool elements
1: and no chemistry between them. Nothing sparking here. I feel that way about the other Bond girl. I don't really get a spark off of her, especially in her early scenes pre-makeover, and yeah, now that you mention the writer's strike, it does help explain some things, because while I'm defending these early scenes, I do feel that as Bond starts investigating, when he goes to the bar, when he does meet Pam, that things do start to slip a little bit for him. She is a
2: hired gun, right? We're to understand that she goes along with him because Bond looked her up on Felix's home personal computer and met her when it was supposed to be Felix and offered her $75,000 to go take a plane flight down to where Sanchez lives. That's her only role in this movie, and the fact that she stays in the plot is, I guess we're just meant to believe it's because she falls in love.
0: But then later on we learn that she and Felix had a plan that she actually doesn't bring up to Bond at all until Bond finds out about it, which is weird. So
2: By that point in the movie, I was just throwing up my hands going, Huh? I know they were telling me that. I never understood that.
0: Yeah, but I like Carrie Lowell a lot in this movie, but I do think there are scenes that the chemistry thing you're talking about certainly shines through. Some of the line readings are kind of awkward, but I do feel overall that she's very likable. I kind of like that both girls fell in love with Bond, and I didn't really know which one he was going to go for. (laughs) And it was kind of nice that both women are just swooning over this guy.
1: This is one of the few things that I remembered from the behind the scenes stuff here, is I remembered an interview on some television network that isn't around anymore with Carrie Lowell talking about how this was going to be a Bond for the 90s, who was going to just be a one-woman Bond. So the moment Pam showed up initially, she looked a little bit butch. And so I'm like, well, she's obviously not the Bond girl. He's going to go for the hot Mexican. And then they start doing it on the boat. And I'm like, wow, Bond, you lowered your standards. (laughs) Then she gets the makeover. It looks like she looked on the years I watched Law and Order and I get it. But that meta knowledge of this is the new one woman man, you know, trying to be a, I guess, late 80s type of guy who could appeal to a broader demographic by not sleeping around.
2: Come on, Arnie, you'll like this. This is, yeah, the tough girl. We have always cited that this was a positive for 80s, the female action hero. Yeah, they're going for Sigourney Weaver. They're trying to give us a woman that can be as tough as Bond. He meets her in a bar
1: and he brings a pistol, she brings a shotgun. I like this chick. Yeah, but she looks about as sexy as the Czechoslovakian girl in the last movie in these opening bar scenes. In the bar scenes, yes, but that's all a setup so that when she gets the makeover, you really do go,
2: whoa. I think he's got two beautiful and completely charismatic ladies. The problem is, I just don't think that they work well in this love triangle. I don't buy that they have
1: the same attraction for him that we do for them. Carrie Lowell sells me as Pam. I completely believe that she's into Bond and this whole thing as the movie goes on and jealousy and all that, it is completely Lupe that I never get in this movie. She doesn't have any chemistry with any of them. She doesn't seem into Sanchez. She doesn't seem into Sanchez's henchman who hits on her and she doesn't seem into Bond. Is she a model? Because she does not seem to act well.
0: She's an actress. Actually, Clary Lowell was the (laughs) (laughs) ex-model.
2: Yeah, this one's apparently in the Mortal Kombat movies, Arnie. You should know her. Oh, Katana! I guess. I mean, what is to like about Dalton here? I mean, he's so angry. He's so one note. They've taken what works so well for him and really emphasized it. I think he smiles in this movie twice. And there's only one time where I can think that he did something silly. That was a total Roger Moore moment when he dresses up like a man array and swims out to that yacht. What the hell is that?
0: Okay. I like how the yacht scene ends. The whole part of him being on the yacht, I didn't really care for all that much.
1: I felt bad for Sharky.
2: I like Sharky. That's where I knew this movie was going to be brutal. I'm like, is everyone going to die? What the hell? (laughs) Yeah, they bring him in strung up. I'm like, this movie is anytime they give you somebody that you like, killed. This one is brutal in ways that they've never done before. I've never seen a Bond movie like this before, and while I'm impressed by that, I'm also weirded out by it.
1: And after so many movies with plots of world domination, be it from the evil Russians or be it from Spectre, to have it be a drug dealer that's this brutal, I mean, in one way, they're narrowing the scope, they're really toning it down. And in the other way, they're really ramping up the violence. And I mean, again, it is of the time. We're supposed to think, like you said, Scarface or Miami Vice villains who would kill without a thought. But it seems a little bit out of place in Bond's universe.
2: Particularly since Bond is just trying to kill a man that killed his friend. I don't think he has any vested interest in bringing down a drug empire. I guess, except that anyone connected to it is ultimately serving this man he hates. But to me, that's incidental. Why spend all of this time breaking into subs and dumping coke and water skiing when you could just as easily just put a bullet in this guy? And he's so irrationally angry, I don't believe that he would construct this Count of Monte Cristo plot to come back into his life and be his friend and play this long game. He seems irrational. He doesn't seem like he's plotting. Does
1: he know who he's out to kill?
0: Yes. Okay. Because the opening scene, he ropes him into the plane.
1: I thought so too. So why does he do all this investigating? Is he just scoping out Where Sanchez is so that he can later on, you know, do the sniper rifle thing he tries to do, because I was confused why he was investigating something that was quite obviously already known.
0: I think he's trying to find out where he is, yes. And the way he finds out where Sanchez is is by pumping Lupe for information. But you guys are bringing something up that is paramount to what makes this movie different about the grittiness and all that kind of stuff. At the end of this scene, when Sharky gets killed and he shoots the henchman with the harpoon gun, jumps in, gets the guy's scuba outfit, and then gets cornered down there under the water and has to use the harpoon gun to shoot the plane to get out of there... The action scenes are what brings it back to being a Bond movie. Only James Bond or Batman is going to use a (laughs) a harpoon gun to shoot a plane to get himself out of a situation like that. Then the water ski to hop on the plane, take over the plane and fly away. A very James Bond kind of fantastical kind of action scene in the middle of this gritty story. And so when you have the scene end like that on that Bond action scene. It kind of brings me back in to remind me, oh, yeah, we are watching James Bond.
2: Movies. Yeah, I agree with you. That moment was a get me back moment. And there are other ones. The Biggest keeper, the thing I'm most happy to see return and call back because everything else feels so different is when Bond's uncle Q comes and helps him. Even though he has flown the coop and is no longer working for Her Majesty, Q still somehow finds out where he is in Isthmus City and comes to help out with his gadgets. That gadget scene is where I finally felt like, ah, they really are trying to get back and keep this tethered to something they've done before.
1: And I liked that the way Q finds out is because Money, Penny, and M have not forsaken Bob, which makes me wonder if he was ever really fired.
0: Agreed. And I love the line M gives him, oh, he's going out to Sanchez. You know him better than that. Like, they know what's going on, and they are certainly helping him off the books. It's great. But you mentioned the gadget, Stuart. We complained last time he has a keychain. In the last movie, he had that awesome, awesome, awesome sniper rifle. Here he gets a little piddly dunk camera sniper rifle. The only cool thing about it is the signature gun.
2: Yeah, I like that part. I thought it was fun to see how it's customized to his fingerprints. And yeah, everything's a camera. He also gets an Instamatic that's a laser. Very funny sight gag with the photo that pops out after Pam nearly fries (laughs) them.
1: That was cute, but I expected it to come back later and it never did.
2: It didn't. Is that a cutscene? or maybe just something they couldn't change with the writer strike?
0: No, it's more like the Ghetto Blaster or the cast that breaks the guy's head. It's a throwaway cue gag. Yeah. That's all it is.
2: That's a shame. But they do bring back the toothpaste bomb Ba decides that he is finally going to kill Sanchez. I can't really understand what he's doing. Is he trying to sell himself as an assassin or is he just trying to get close enough to put a bullet in him and get away? Well, in one moment, he is going to blow up the area and take him out with a sniper rifle.
0: The whole reason he did the whole thing with the gambling was to get in that office to find out what he's up against. It made perfect sense to me what was going on. And once the sniper rifle thing failed, then he went more into the game plan of getting Sanchez's confidence. That's what I saw.
2: But before he could get the shot off
0: successfully, ninjas! Now I'm really confused. (laughs) Yeah, ninjas came out of nowhere, (laughs) as ninjas do. But it just just kind of felt completely unnecessary to have ninjas there. But it is the 80s, right? And then the whole thing with the guy was undercover, and what a great line that we've heard a thousand times. Five years undercover, you almost blew it! A lot of things feel familiar here, and we said before we've seen this plot before. Maybe we haven't seen this plot in a Bond movie, but we've seen this plot before, full of lines like even Robert Davi's I value loyalty more than money, even though that's the basis of the entire Sanchez character. We've seen that before in other movies before and since, or at least it feels that way. And here it's just Bond's turn to do it.
1: And here's the other guy from Mortal Kombat. Quang played Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat, but Stuart, you may remember him a little bit better as leader of the finger oh. in Electra.
2: Yes, I can see it now. Mercifully to this movie, I did not recall that detail upon watching, but you're right, it is him. The only thing that this plot point really does is it gives Bond an excellent excuse to try a different tack. Because they try to abduct him, because they have this British guy who's actually here to drug Bond and ship him back to England so he can do his job again, Sanchez comes in on this and presumes that Bond really is an assassin and thus is ready to trust him. Again, I would love this storyline if I didn't feel like Bond wasn't being so crazy and irrational and acting like someone that isn't planning. I think it's really cool, the idea that he would do this to find out details from Sanchez. But if his sole mission is just to put a bullet in
1: the guy, boy, does he take too long. I agree completely. And here, this was a bad thing that was happening to the second half of this movie, is I was taken back to some of the dark days of Moore and Connery, especially Moore, thinking specifically to For Your Eyes Only or The Spy Who Loved Me, where... The second hour just started to drag horribly. And I really think this is one of the longer Bond films. This one could have had 20 minutes cut out, just like Felix. A quarter of it cut out and be fine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's, <cruel. laughs> That's a good comparative. <laughs> That's
0: funny. Yeah, because they go on a different direction. We keep talking about sometimes these movies feel like two different things. They all of a sudden bring Wayne Newton into this with this televangelist thing.
1: What the hell? I actually did a double take. I was like, is that Wayne? Newton? This is
2: the only thing I could have told you about this. This and Oil tankers at the end. The only memories I had from the VHS screening was in fact this bizarro cameo from the Vegas Lounge Singer. And I remembered it wrong. I thought this movie ended in Vegas and that Wayne Newton played himself. I was like, I think that's what happens here. I think we're going back to Vegas. We do not go back to Vegas, but yes, the Lounge Singer is here playing a bizarre plot in which he is a front for the drug operations. What is he doing here? He holds telethons in which the numbers that he says need to be raised are actually coded quotes for what people are willing to pay for the cocaine.
1: Yeah, he is selling drugs under the guise of televangelism. And so when he is saying what their donation goals are, he's actually setting the price per key. And then when he says they got donations from cities, he's relaying back that the head drug lords in those cities, how many keys they bought. It's really convoluted and stupid. I think that they could have
2: made a phone call. I think that they could have done, like, something in Invisible ink. They really didn't need a meditation guru to transmit that idea. But I do like the idea that we have a city that is corrupted. The president is paid off. Wayne Newton is a televangelist. That was certainly a popular target in the 80s at this time. And I certainly love his meditation center. I think it's an awesome layer. But it is a weird twist in the story i wouldn't have anticipated and not sure that it serves the darker aspects
0: well that's the whole point the televangelist thing was comic relief in a movie that desperately needs it and wayne newton is completely what it is and for you guys it didn't work for me the Wayne newton is a breath of fresh air in a movie that i think really needs a little bit more of that even the uh, little accountant guy i kind of considered him kind comic relief also this little young guy doing all these accountants taking his numbers so seriously I really enjoyed watching him on the screen as well in this very dark movie.
2: I'm not disagreeing with you. I particularly like the Wayne Newton scenes when Pam finally gets involved and seduces him and all of that stuff towards the end of the film. I think it just takes a long time for him to pay out. And he does stick out in the middle of this film for reasons that are hard to understand for much of it. I mean, Bond doesn't go after him. He goes after Crest. He goes back to frame that guy on the boat with the money, and they do that whole pressurization chamber bit that they loved doing in the 80s. I think ever since they put the gremlin in the microwave, I kept seeing that scene of someone exploding in a pressurized area again and again.
0: They did two gremlins' deaths in this movie. They do the shredder thing later on in the movie. But the pressure chamber death was something that was quite contentious at the time. And this is the first PG-13 Bond movie. And they actually had a cut this scene because it came out too realistic. Believe it or not, that latex head... No,
2: I suspected that. It was a very gory death for a James Bond movie. Watching a head explode, and yeah, they do kind of cut frames around it so we, we don't actually see it scanner style, but it's still pretty graphic for, yeah, a Bond movie, and that doesn't surprise me. PG 13 is exactly how this is playing.
0: Yeah, and then, of course, he has the Bond line at the end of it, launder the money, which I thought was a perfect thing for James Bond, normally yeah. would say, but really got me. I noticed also, we talked about before, how Bond's wardrobe and thinks he's haggard. This is the first I've seen James Bond in a (laughs) t-shirt on the deck of this boat. This entire scene has a whole bunch of stuff we've never seen before in a James Bond movie. But Milton Crest, he had this creepy way about him the whole time he was on the screen. To him to die this way was a little weird for me too. You would think he would just knock his head on something because he was drunk or Talisa Soto would kill him instead of him being pressurized in the tank that way.
2: Yeah, He was a henchman, if you can even call him that, that never really paid out. That he wasn't broad enough to play the way that Bond henchmen usually do. And his whole story just isn't why we're here. You're selling a revenge story, so the fact that this guy gets tricked into Sanchez believing that he stole money from him, I don't care. This is a tangent... We don't want to follow in a movie that is already kind of hard to follow.
1: This is where I kind of got back to Fistful of Dollars or my more modern comparative Thomas Jane's Punisher, where I thought Bond was going to make Sanchez kill all of his own henchmen.
0: He does kill almost all of his own henchmen in this movie. That's true, but only
1: one because of Bond and one because he was a pissy, slimy businessman.
0: He kills the army guy who with the bad toupee with the forklift who was going to betray him to the Stinger Missiles. Oh, that's true.
1: Yeah, the Stinger Missiles is something I never could completely wrap my mind around. That made almost as much sense as selling opium to sell guns last time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But whatever my misgivings are about the way that Bond is doing this plot, and I have a lot, everything gets corrected when we finally get to the drug lab at the heart of the meditation center. I think that this layer is really cool. I think may not be a volcano. It may not be a monastery on a cliffside, but this is definitely one of the best kind of layers that we've seen, and I really like the whole idea. I'm going with cocaine that turns into gasoline. I'm not sure that any user would want to use that, but I'm appreciating it.
0: I agree completely. I love the idea. I think it's really clever. I love movies that try to hide cocaine. I always think of Running Scared when they it was in those doll's the movie with Gregory Hines, not the Paul Walker one. And here, I've never seen this before. I never heard of it since. I don't even know if it's possible. You, you would know that's true if it's possible. <laughs> I'm such a
2: cokehead. <laughs> well, no. But- <laughs> <laughs> Let me do a line and I'll tell you. Yeah, there's definitely and- gasoline in it.
1: Where do you think he gets the energy to record all these f- shows?
0: Exactly. But he's our bullshit meter. So even if it's not realistic, it's again Bondian. It's a little bit over the top. But, you know, it could happen. Yeah. And that's what I'm liking about it. There are elements here that remind us of the James Bond movie. And
2: we get some suspense again. I mean, we get this whole thing about Dario is there. And Dario fought Bond back at that dive bar in Florida. Well, as soon as Bond takes off the mask, as soon as they get out of the area where cocaine's in the air, he's exposed. And suddenly now, yeah, what's going to happen in front of all these Japanese drug tourists? How is Dario going to handle the fact that he sees a rat snuggling up next to Sanchez? I think this is where the movie really picks up speed again and i'm totally engaged for this climax
1: i agree when it finally gets to this point and it takes a while i'm really excited to finally see it go down and i'm wondering how it's going to go down
0: i'm right there with you i think it really works well they all run out of the temple thing and then we have that great tanker chase
1: that is a very exciting tanker chase and i don't say that about very many tanker chases
2: Hey, I love trucks. I love watching trucks in danger. A 70s movie I adore, Sorcerer, is all about putting trucks where trucks should not be on roads. This is a great callback to that. I think all of this stuff, even when it goes gonzo ridiculous with it going up on two wheels to avoid the missile, I love it. I don't care. This is probably the best climax we've ever had attached to a not very good Bond. That's how I'm going to label this. To me, it feels like we're back at Thunderball, where I haven't liked much of this movie. It's a little too dour, but I really do like this ending. And you know what? This action is, I can admit, much better than even Thunderball's underwater
1: aquatics. Yeah, I really enjoy all of this. It's got some great suspense. I don't think Bond's going to die, but I think he might kill those people in the little pickup. Yeah. Just by accident.
0: Yeah. And you said, stu- Stuart, the went on two wheels. You meant like the tanker went on one side of itself, right?
2: Well, yeah. All right. There's a lot of more wheels behind it. But yes, it went up on however many wheels, an 18 wheel, I guess nine wheel.
0: Yeah. Yes. And guess what? That's real. They had a rig for it, but the guy actually is able to do that. Can you
2: believe wow. that? I know. Isn't that cool? That is very cool. I mean, I knew it wasn't digital. This is all pre-digital effects, and you can feel that. You can see that when those tricks go off the road and all of that, but I thought for sure this might have been a model or something.
1: I knew it wasn't a model. I just thought there might have been wires or something like that because I couldn't believe a tanker could drive halfway up.
0: Right, but then there's also later on the cab when Bond drives through the fire that it kind of does a monster truck move where it goes, you know, and then goes up. That felt to me like a special rig they made for that piece, but the other one didn't. But I think the whole scene plays really, really well. I even don't mind that when Bond goes up on that side of all those wheels, that the Stinger missile hits the other truck. It's very Jerry Lewis to me, kind of like a police academy kind of, oh, my God, of course they hit the tanker. But it actually plays here really well, that guy running away, screaming, and the whole thing blows up. I completely am going along with the scene because it's so much fun to watch.
2: Yes, it's fun. And I think that that is something that I have been starving for for much of this movie. I've liked the idea of the tone that they've had for Starker, but it hasn't felt very fun, and now I'm engaged. The lady pilot comes in and with the crop duster and the fight atop, all of this stuff. I really, at this point, I'm one back. It's a little too, little too late, but I still love this climax. I don't want to ever watch this movie again, but I would love to watch this climax again.
1: I like the fact that Bond loses, really. I mean, he is about to be killed, and the gadget that saves his life didn't come from Q. Poetically enough, it came from
0: Felix. And it's a lighter. Ha!
1: I didn't get that till the second! I know,
2: a visual pun.
0: Yeah, brilliant. I liked that they gave him a lighter and then he uses it at the end And I kind of liked when Bond says, don't you want to know why? And I was surprised that Sanchez actually stopped and said yes, as opposed to just cleaving him. But it worked. The ending is good.
2: Yeah, very fitting. And like I said, it's almost a letdown when we find out Felix is alive. I'm like, no, he's avenging your death. You can't be alive. But he's there at the end
1: party along with the iguana and the two girls. One other thing about this end, Felix says that he's been talking to M and M may have a job for Bond. And this is something that always bugged me because I always thought this movie ended with Bond unemployed and I was always disappointed that when the next movie came and a new actor took over the role, we never saw him get his job back. But watching it this time, are we supposed to think he got his job back? Well, obviously, he's going to get his job back. We're planning on to do more movies, but... See, I don't think it's that obvious. I took it, when I watched this movie 20 years ago, I thought it ended with him unemployed. And when I saw this movie this time, I think it could be taken either way. I thought it was a little ambiguous.
0: I took it that he got his job back. So this is something I didn't catch on to at all, Arnie. This is... Not an issue for me.
1: And there we get the very awkward monogamy scene. It doesn't quite work for me. Because of the girl he chooses or because he
2: only chooses one girl?
1: Because of how it plays. Because Lupe is coming on to him so hard and because he then is so devoted to Pam. It just, the whole thing feels too showcasey. It doesn't feel natural for any of them.
2: Yeah, I think Lupe gets the better end of the stick. She gets to be the president's wife and gets an iguana out of it. I don't know how long he's going to be hanging out with Pam in the fountain, but... Six years! (laughs) (laughs) And if I wasn't a fan of License to Kill by Gladys Knight, I am no more a fan of Patti LaBelle doing a song that Celine Dion would make a hit.
0: Well, Patti LaBelle actually had a minor hit with this as well. From what I understand, they were trying to go for Gladys Knight to get the hit, but Patti LaBelle's became a sleeper hit, but not on the top 40, like I think an R&B list or something.
1: Yeah, real sleeper because I – didn't want to wake up for this. (laughs) I'm sitting here, and all I can think about this whole song is, I think I used to like this song. I'm sure you bought the album. I'm
2: not sure you ever liked it, but knowing the way you collected CDs. I bought the Celine Dion version (laughs) and liked
0: it. I'll go on record saying, I'll say right now, I like the Celine Dion version of this fine. I think she can sing it really well, and I know it from her also. But I do remember back in the day when this song was on the radio with Celine Dion, I was like, I know this song, but how do I know this song? I couldn't put it together. It was a Bond song until a few years later
2: because it's not a bond song this is a terrible way to end a bond movie it was a terrible song to kick it off a terrible way to end this bond movie what were they thinking it least only limit yourself to one R&B ballad. Why must we have two bad R&B ballads here for this gritty cocaine story? I just will never understand. <laughs> but both these songs will rank very, very low when I rank all the Bond songs.
1: I mean, this happens all the time. Think of Con Air and Trisha Yearwood saying, How Do I Live? And then Leanne Rhymes sings it better. And then they're fighting over who gets the Grammy. I mean... This is the shittier version of the famous song.
2: I do not agree that this is the worst version of the song. I think this is a song that has no place in this movie.
1: I agree it has no place in this movie, but I find it hard to rank this song among the worst when I like the song, just not the performance. I find it hard
2: to believe that you have liked the song and Dog on Goldfinger, but I will never get over that.
1: So let's just
0: move on. Stuart, Arnie, do you recommend License to Kill? Stuart.
2: Usually when I'm ranking a Bond movie, if I'm unclear, if I'm on the fence, I look at the components and I go, well, did I like the villain? Did I like the girls? Did I like the location? Did I like the Bond? The answer to all of these in this circumstance is yes. What is surprising to me is that none of this is going to change the fact that I'm going to have to go not recommend. I don't think that these likable elements congeal in this movie. I think this movie is failed by poor storytelling that dawdles around and really promises us big things that it then pulls punches and Ultimately, it's just not very much fun to watch. I like Dalton. I want him to see him continue. I am sad that this is the swan song. I feel like he deserved better than what they gave him here. But if they were going to be like this, I can understand why people didn't want to come back. I can understand that if the decision was this didn't work, we blame Dalton no more, how it went that way. I want to make sure that I sell the fact that I like Dalton and I like this direction, but I don't like this adventure. And the whole is less than the sum of its many good parts. I'm sad to say it, but it's a not recommend. I mean, not a strong one, but too long, too drab, not enough,
1: even though it had a good ending. Arnie. As with many of these bonds, Stuart, you and I see the same things, but stand on the opposite sides of the fence. I'm giving this a recommend. It's a weaker recommend, but. I definitely think that the parts of this work well. I found the entire first hour of this to just be refreshing. I like Gritty Bond. I like Rogue Bond. I like Vendetta Bond. I like Timothy Dalton as Bond. Timothy Dalton is the only Bond thus far to get unanimous praise from me. It's only two, so perhaps that's not fair. But I don't know that any other Bond got two recommends on his first two outings either from me. Nope. It's not perfect. The second hour drags. I stand by that judicious editing... Probably before filming to tighten up the script and get rid of some of the lag in the second half would really make this a strong recommend because it's got great action. I like one of the girls in Pam. I don't think I ever really got a chance to say how much I enjoyed that character after she seemed counterintuitive as the Bond girl, the way she's introduced, but she really comes into it. I don't necessarily enjoy a lot of the gender politics things. Why can't you be the secretary? And the whole one woman thing, it feels force fed to Bond. It doesn't feel organic to this film, but I like what this film gives me. I like Q going out to help Bond. I like that despite Bond quitting, MI6 doesn't forsake him, even though there's an agent out there to take him back. And I really like Sanchez as our villain. He is somewhat of a stock character for the drug movies of the time, but yet you also get to see his side of things. You get to learn his own morality. I love when he says it's only money, much to his accountant's chagrin. Yeah, I recommend License to Kill.
0: My line on License to Kill for years has been, it's a good movie, but it's not a great James Bond movie. And in this viewing, having rewatched all of the James Bond movies before it, I'm seeing a lot of the Bond elements in here peppered in, but it still doesn't feel like a James Bond movie when you put everything together. And... There are moments in here that are funny for James Bond fans that we didn't really touch on, like when Q has that rake and it's a radio, and then he throws it away. (laughs) After all those years of complaining about Bond treating his stuff (laughs) without any care, Q throws it away. I thought it was really funny for people like me who could catch that. And as I said before, the action scenes are so fantastical with the truck and the water skiing with the harpoon gun that those are very Bond moments. But most of this movie as a whole does not feel like a James Bond movie at all. And so while I really like everything, like Stuart said, I like the villains and the girls, I like Bond, I didn't really care for the plot. And typically speaking, we usually say if the plot's weak, it doesn't matter if everything else works. Here, I've seen this movie before. It's had to be a James Bond movie. I am recommending this movie, but I want to be very clear. I recommend the movie because I liked watching the movie, I was engaged in the movie the whole time, and I liked a lot of things about it. But I think it's not a very good James Bond movie. And. There's a difference. I think the last one was a good James Bond movie, and this one is just not. But recommend, check it out. There's a lot of good things here, and it works on a lot of ways.
1: So, Brock, we both recommend this, and I gotta say, I would love to see where Dalton takes Bond. If this was the last movie in our retrospective, I'd say I'm anxiously awaiting the threequel, and then I'd never get it.
0: Yeah, you don't get it. The big reason we don't see Dalton again, beyond this movie not being received very well because they were going to go with Dalton with Dalton number three to be released in 1991 but they got bogged down in legal issues so it took so long by the time they started ramping up again for another James Bond movie Timothy Dalton backed out he didn't want to do it and they decided that they're going to start fresh with a new actor in the role so I don't think it's fair to say that Timothy Dalton killed the franchise it really wasn't up to him but certainly for a lot of fans when he didn't come back they weren't all that upset at the time now in retrospect as we're talking about Timothy Dalton has gained a lot of respect in his two movies as James Bond.
2: Yeah, I like this guy. Unlike the On Her Majesty's Secret Service, where Lazenby gets a lot of praise, partly from you guys, I don't think is deserved. This guy deserves what he brought it. I really think that he gave them the Bond films that they were making, and they made Bond films that were complementary to what his talents were. I would have liked to seen more in this vein. I would have liked to have seen them better scripted than License to Kill. But I would have been down for another one. Do you know anything about what the third movie would have been?
0: I did hear a rumor that it was going to be called Property of a Lady, though they did use that in Octopussy for the name of the Fabergé egg at the auction because that plot was from
1: there. Yeah, but nobody remembers the name of the Fabergé egg. They also brought up in... Honor Majesty's Secret Service that Bond's family crest is the world is not enough, but they'll recycle that for a title. They sure will. That's true. (laughs) But I'm not going to feel too bad for Dalton. His loss of Bond meant great things for Chuck fans and for fans of Edgar Wright, which I am... I would not give Dalton any props until I saw him again in this century, but now I will give what he's doing a look.
0: I think what's going on is that people are accepting that he is a former Bond, and he got Chuck because of Bond, right? Right.
1: It's an in-joke.
0: Right, and he got hot fuzz because of Bond. So he's now able to get that kind of ironic thing going, and that's what he's doing. But as far as I know, he's like Patrick Stewart, and he's like Shakespearean an actor. So after having his spotlight in popular culture, he's gone back to the stage and, and worked there.
2: And it means that, yeah, the doorway is open for something new. We're going to get it now to a week. Coming this Friday, we're going to experience the Pierce Brosnan era, starting with Goldeneye. Our donation series is actually coming out with its final episode this Wednesday, Halloween. We're doing day of the dead the remake and that will be a halloween show it's the end of our donation it's the last few hours until you can donate and get it
1: but the platinum donation for people who really want to support the show and get a physical item will be open through november and you can find out all the details on that at now playing podcast.com
0: now playing will return with goldeneye That sounds like a dismissal. I was rather looking forward to breakfast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Now Playing James Bond retrospective series.
2: Job's done. The bitch is dead.
0: At our website, nowplayingpodcast.com, you can find the other episodes in the James Bond series, as well as other series such as The Avengers, Batman, Spider-Man, Predator, Rocky, Rambo, and many more. I Christmas only comes once a year. You will also find individual movie reviews such as Green Lantern, Cowboys and Aliens, Avatar, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Talk here, listen here. So that's what I've been doing wrong all these years. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. Shame.
1: We barely got to know each other.
0: You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. Just do as I say, will you? Yes, James. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I take it that this is not a social call, 007. Correct. You should have brought lilies. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Em really doesn't mind you earning a little money on the side. You'd just prefer it if it wasn't selling secrets. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. So you put your money where your mouth is. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy T-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more.
1: Well, that's quite a nice little nothing you're almost wearing. I approve it.
0: Now Playing's James Bond Retrospective series is edited by Alex, Ray, Phil, Dylan, Jason, Jeff, Brock, and Arnie. One rises to meet a challenge. Now Playing is not affiliated with MGM UA Entertainment Company, Columbia Pictures, or Warner Brothers Pictures, and no infringement is intended. That depends on your definition of safe sex. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Vinganza Media Incorporated. This never happened to the other fella. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. I assume you have no regrets.
1: I don't. What about you? Of
0: course not. I would be unprofessional.
1: This did come out after
2: License to Drive*. It may have confused Arnie, at least. No, not really.
0: I heard that Corey Haim was going to be the henchman in this one. Thank God they went <laughs> a different way.
2: Wow, worst <laughs> Bond ever!
1: And the two travel to I- and the two travel to Isthmus City. <laughs> I don't have a c- I don't have a lisp. It's Isthmus.
0: Is my two front teeth. Do you have a Susie Carryall doll by any chance?
1: I don't have a lisp. It is Isthmus City. <laughs> <laughs> and in Isthmus City, <laughs> Bond befriends Sanchez, and his status as a rogue <laughs> agent has Sanchez take Bond into his confidence. You're getting <laughs> Spanish trills in here. What is going on with your mouth? <laughs> that's what she said. Oh my god. No, that's what we're all saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather have Gladys Knight do the slot summary than you, and that's saying something.
2: <laughs>
1: can you do it, then. It's <laughs> like what Brock and I were saying about editing. You don't like it? You can do well, it. I think I just got signed up. I want that license <laughs> revoked. <laughs> All right. There, Bond befriends Sanchez, and his status is a... <laughs>
2: Oh, long night, long night ahead of
0: us. We're going to have, have to write a letter to the list people to apologize for our cruelty.
1: It's a fictional city. Isthmus. Uh, is- it's just isthmus? It's not isthmus? No, I, I, I feel isthmus? like you're putting
2: a weird accent on it. Isthmus. isthmus. Did I miss? That's how I always do it. Uh, that may be some weird isthmus. Midwestern thing that's not correct pronunciation, but at least you don't sound like that.
1: <laughs>
2: I thought it was fictional.
0: It is yeah. fictional.
1: So why do you always talk about this
2: fictional city? Because,
0: no, no, so, no. like I always I- say... Isthmus
2: it. are real things. That's a real geographical phenomenon. There is no... Ith- well, there is an isthmus city, but I never talk about Panama.
1: <laughs> I don't often talk about Panama. But when <laughs> I do, a it's a Van Halen album. <laughs> it's,
0: it's like a rule Stewart has. I never talk about Panama. Or like or like there was in war. Like, I, I can just never talk about Panama. And I think he was doing the... what? What,
2: what, what is that character called? The... The uh, Dos Equis guy, right? Yes, he was yeah. just Dos Equis.
0: Yeah.
1: Think had somebody from this in it. Who's who's uh Sharkey in this? What's
2: his name? Frank McRae. The- uh, maybe he was in Real oh, okay. Genius. <laughs>
0: Oh, shit, that up. reminds oh, me. Do shit.
1: not let me hang up without doing a pickup on <laughs> Real Genius. The most important
0: pick-up of our lives. We have to stop <laughs> oh, everything God, pick that up. Oh, God, why did I mention Because that it. has to get out.
2: That joke is not worth returning to Real Genius. No.
1: No, we have to do a correction, though. <laughs> yeah. We just cut it from the show. There we the correct answer.
0: <laughs> He's like, no, He's that's the most that important one. detail <laughs> of the whole movie. <laughs> no, I must. I must show
2: <laughs> I know, my Real Genius fandom on a focal point for cinema.
0: Please, by all means, go on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He's like taking offense to our I'm comments. Sorry. sorry, Arnie. We're just having a little fun. All
1: right. right, let's. Can we stop talking about real cuties and start talking about Navy <laughs> Seals? God damn it. <laughs> Again, another vocal <laughs> point of cinema. Yes, do go on. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and like Tubbs, he's got a nickname, Sharky.
0: What is Tubbs's nickname?
1: Well, I mean, Tubbs is kind of a funny last name. Have you ever no. met anyone named Tubbs?
0: I never met anyone named Sharky either. Exactly. Or Bond, for that matter. He had that line with Cherry from Three's Company. What's her name in the movie? <laughs>
2: <laughs> what her name is? Um, Dalla. D- D- Della.
0: I didn't know that was a tradition. Everyone gets to kiss the bride. You
1: mean it's just kiss?
0: i party's <laughs> <laughs> going back to Braveheart. Nice. <laughs> yeah. But- <laughs> Different
1: song that they were- not Ghostbusters 2, that was Bobby Brown. No, there was Bobby Brown, but there was a different song when that Statue of Liberty is walking through the city. Found out about
2: Vigo, the master of
1: evil. Try to battle my boys. It's not legal. (laughs) Oh, wee, oh. Listen, I would never say bad things about Bobby Brown other than he killed Whitney. Other than that. (laughs) But-
0: I agree with you guys. It's not the greatest song. It's been in my head all week long. I cannot get it out of my head. I would suggest
1: listening to Gangnam Style, and that'll take care of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, good choice. Yeah, you should, though. It's interesting. I'm only really had a... Anyway. Um- I still haven't watched that.
1: My favorite. If I was to have a Bond ringtone, so far it'll be a Dalton Bond ringtone.
0: Might be Bond 77. I don't have one. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: When my phone
2: rings, it's just crickets. Literally, and I just I don't I don't put ringtones on.
0: <laughs> Gangnam style.
1: Ever noticed that Benicio looks exactly like a Mexican Brad Pitt?
0: Yes, in this movie especially.
1: I thought he had a little Ralph Macchio going for him, but maybe that's just me.
0: <laughs>
2: I agree. When we see Felix again, at least the Felix that I'm thinking about, he will not be named.
0: He's Voldemort? What, what are you talking about? He said maimed, not named. Oh, I thought you said named. I'm like,
2: what is he talking oh, about? Oh, and it's I named. had no idea with Voldemort. I was like... D-.
0: And the way he finds out where Sanchez is is by pumping Lupe for information. But um, sh- Yeah. <laughs> well, at this point, he doesn't really pump... Yeah, all. right? And what am I saying? But, it's Dalton. Yeah. But uh <laughs> um
1: Well this is kinda like
0: um what's that no combat. <laughs> <Mortal> Fletch
1: <laughs> Con Air, damn it. Um oh. I know the movie. of course they have not stop.
2: seen it. <laughs> Dog on Goldfinger, but I will never get over that. So let's just bah. move
1: on. Bah, wah, wah. It's like Harvey Firestein getting a prostate exam.
2: Whatever that means. <laughs> um, all right, let me...
1: <laughs> How
2: do I go on after that?
0: James Bond will return. Now play will return. Me, man. <laughs>